0: On the other
1: side of Texas, history has its place. On the other side of Texas, justice rules the case. They don't like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas halls, we roll along hey there howdy how you doing glad you're tuning in and telling friends that you hang out here on the other side of texas our last broadcast of 2018 what a year it has been and what a year of of, of arriving and being here on the map and all of that has to do with you and those of you who listen on the podcast as well i do thank you that uh You know, my whole thing launching out was that I want to create a new medium. I want to be uh, original, smart, and funny, and provide you with content that makes it worth your while. Because I know that you are busy. You got you got the kiddos, or you've got the career. You got all these things, and you just need to hear from somebody who's got some semblance of inside information on what's going on and what matters and i'm glad that you've made this your choice to listen to and i think the advertisers and sponsors who've uh, made it possible as we close out 2018 right here on the program today more about that coming up i'm your host jay west texas leeson coming up on the program an extended conversation with our friend brandon darby breitbart texas before you say breitbart texas what Uh, i don't know anybody who raves on more than brandon darby to use a tagline from the show brandon darby can rave on and he's going to be with us here in just a little bit broadcasting from the racer car wash studios racer car wash voted lubbock's best wash for five years running Stop into one of five convenient locations across the hub city for the best wash round guaranteed that's at racerwash.com daniel wanted me to put out a flyer to you guys and i'll do it here coming up in 2019 some new expectations we are going to be facebook living shows that's what i'm told so i'm going to have to sit in front of a camera and we're going to be facebook living as well as putting up the podcast we're going to be so we're going to be doing three things at one time we're going to be producing a podcast producing a live radio program and putting it up in video content and daniel's really geeking out about that i see his eyes he's really geeking out and I don't know, I'll just sit down and do what I do and and rave along and rave on and I uh, hope that you enjoy that as we get into because here's the deal this is a lead loss for me A uh, first year this is what I knew getting in that uh, producing my own platform we were just going to put profits into uh, new gear and new technology to launch a show further and that's what we're doing and so you'll see us on at least three different platforms coming up in the new year brandon darby the border wall the shutdown in congress it's all coming to play as we broadcast here on the 21st government shutdown coming talk about the border wall talk about border security coming up with our friend brandon darby but first because i won't be back with you again i it is christmas season and regardless of where you are i just want you to hear me say what i've got in my heart to say to you now we're in the season of advent when christ enters the world and you know all the heart the herald angels sing you know all the hymns know them by heart an infant entering a manger a brave woman as well as a brave man taking on a new birth um imbued by god the livestock the wise men the whole thing And we've heard a hundred thousand different Advent messages but I did do a theology degree and did one at Asbury Seminary and one of the most and this is just where I want to start this program the most meaningful Advent messages I ever heard was took around the context of not mark 1 not luke 1 not john 1 not matthew 1 but mark 5 when the son of man set sail to an island and i am going to preach at you for just a minute and i hope that you understand i don't do this very often i don't reserve this microphone to do the gospel power hour but politics demands a realm of truth beyond political competence and i want to take a moment here and share with you a message that i think matters in mark five jesus sets sail to an island and on that island is a deranged person um who's in agony shackled to his own fate uh left to his own demons a wretched estate and jesus by no volition of the person's will arrives on those shores and confronts this man and this man immediately recognizes who he is and uh, what he can do and just hear me out i don't want to preach at you this is a a sound lesson at the end of the day he arrives on the shore and this man is confronted deranged his own demons shackled to his own estate his own fate how he arrived there we don't know but what we do know is that he immediately recognizes this person who's arrived at his shore unexpectedly and sets him over the course of their conversation to his right mind and that's something that I think should be recognizable to all folks wherever you're listening to whether you'd vote for go chavez or he'd vote for david koresh and we have a lot of west texicans in between who listen to the program and this man comes to his right mind and those words in the greek can only be found in two other instances and that was a woman at the well when jesus interacts with her arrives at a well that she was not expecting him well at which she was not expecting him and then a prodigal son in a pig pen came to their right mind and that for me was the most powerful advent message i've ever heard so this is what i want to say i don't know what's going on i don't know what's going on with you personally professionally or any other way but what we need in this country are people who lay down on their pillow at night and are of sound conscience and are ready to wake up the next morning. And the more I look at it, the more I fear that a plague overrunning us is despair and that we can't change our lot and you can. And whether by the grace of God or the American dream or whatever it might be, it change your estate. Whether that be if we're deranged or in agony in our own demons, we can do something about that because there's somebody who comes to do something about that. I don't mean to put up a big story with you and tell you, you know, some big conversion story you know what to do with this if you're hearing it and it hits the right chord but that's the reason for the season and i wanted to make sure that i made that plane here on these airwaves that um advent looks different for all folks and i hope that this is a great advent in the merriest of christmases to you and yours going to get in with our friend Brandon Darby coming up, stick right with us. Short break. Cross that old be right back with you here on the I other saw. side. I saw miles and miles of Texas. All the stars up in the sky. I saw miles and miles of Texas. Gonna live here till I die. Um, he is the managing editor of Breitbart. Texas, and one of my best friends, if we can just be transparent, he is the one and only Brandon Darby. Brandon Darby, how you doing, buddy?
0: I'm doing all right, buddy. How are you? Thank you I, for having me on.
1: Well, I appreciate you making time to come on. Um, tell us a little bit about, you, you, so there's a shutdown at midnight. Let's just get your take on this. A government. We're looking at a government shutdown tonight as we broadcast December twenty one on a border wall let's just for listeners who are familiar with the program they know where you're going to come from here but for folks who haven't listened of late what do you make of this shutdown based upon a solid wall
0: well what are we uh what are we talking about here we're talking are we really talking about a shutdown or is not like 85 percent of everything already funded we're talking about some shutdown right basically like uh what what percentage of the government is already funded through other measures Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know it's a if i'm not mistaken and i could be but i think that most of it's already funded um you know the thing is is that there really are areas along our southern border that that need to be better secured and that do need physical barriers um well i think that is probably an important thing to do i i don't i'm not really a big fan of the shutdown um of, of of i don't like that when when it when it falls into this like a you know the first time it happened in my life that i was aware of it was in the clinton years right and uh i wasn't wasn't a fan of it then and uh i didn't think it was a great idea but the bottom line is when we talk about you know problems on our southern border what's going on I think a a lot of people really need to understand that we're we're not dealing with Canada. We're we're not dealing with, and it's not a statement about the worth or the value of people in in uh, in Mexico. Uh, But there there really are a lot of problems on our southern border right now, and uh, there there are a lot of problems south of that border specifically. So there are areas that need that, and we have a government where everyone, almost everyone, aside from a few. Uh, talk about border security, and they they talk about it in a manner that's that's uh, very pro border security. Everyone says they're pro border security, but when it when it when the pedal hits the metal, they're really not. So I think it's you know, am I glad that there's going to be more border barrier? Yeah. Do I think that the border barrier is a uh, is a uh, a fix all? No. Do I think that it's going to uh, you know stop? Uh, mass migration? Uh, no. Do I think it's going to slow down, slow it down in certain areas? I do. Um, do I think it would be a good idea to have a barrier in areas like where that little little girl uh, died uh, last week or in the last two weeks? I, I do.
1: I think that... Now tell us about the little the girl, mo- Brandon.
0: Well, I mean, that's a, another deal altogether, but basically... What you have is you have nine sectors on the southwest border, that's what our border agency, CBP, recognizes, nine sectors, and each of those nine sectors is dealing with at least one cartel, one transnational criminal organization, and oftentimes multiple transnational criminal organizations. Some of those transnational criminal organizations make a lot of money from drugs, and some of them make more from illegal immigration. Or, or irregular migration, whatever words you want to use, uh, they make more from that than they do from from narcotics. So some of those areas leave migrants alone and let them cross without having to pay someone, and some of those areas you can't cross unless you paid someone um, or unless you agree to pay someone for however many years of your life, you know, so you get into an indentured servitude situation. Um, you know, much of the Texas border, where most people cross, in the Rio Grande Valley, Laredo, and Del Rio sectors, uh, those are controlled by, uh, uh, you know, uh, have the, the criminal group in power there, uh, the Gulf Cartel and Los Zetas, and they tend to primarily focus on on, on irregular migration and human smuggling. Um, and then as you go west and you get to where. Uh, you know that group of hundred and sixty three people crossed, where that little girl was in that uh... it was in the El Paso sector but it was in far western New Mexico on the border um, it's just a very remote dangerous place people go there because they don't have to pay a cartel to cross there uh... but when they do cross there uh, it's a very dangerous place. You know, there's a, a a border checkpoint on the border, a port of entry. It's closed down late at night, like after eleven or midnight. It's closed down. Nobody's out there. Anybody can just come in. There's no security there, and anybody can just come into the U.S. And that group came into the United to the U.S. and they they um, they waited for a border patrol agent and they turned themselves in. And what you ultimately ended up with is one border patrol agent trying to manage and secure 163 people then more agents showed up and the most they could muster was four agents and you had four agents dealing with 163 people in the middle of nowhere without any backup without any help and they began the process of of bringing a a van or a bus that is from uh, the Lordsburg station, and several hours on on really bad roads to get through the mountains to get to uh, where they were on the border and that process took all night to to bring a, a van a bus load and another bus load and another bus load and another bus load and at some point in that process, a man said, "Hey, my daughter's not doing well and um, they began to render care uh, they took her to uh, a border patrol facility, which was about half an hour away at that point because they were already in the bus. And they tried to render care, ultimately called air flight from a medev- medevac from El Paso to fly out there to Loresburg and pick her up. And the little girl passed away. She apparently passed away from, from, uh, organ failure that, and, and from septicemia that had developed, uh, over days of not having enough food and water. Um, and uh, so, you know, that turned into a big ordeal. And you know, the Hispanic Caucus and in, the, in, the, in Congress went down to that sector to investigate. Uh, some Democrats attacked the Border Patrol agents and said it was inhumane, and the government should all resign. And and you know, in my position, I I actually looked at it and talked with everyone involved. I said, I don't I don't think it's someone's fault per se. If anything, it's, I'm, I'm going to have to say it's the, the parent who put their kid in a situation not to have food or water for several days, apparently. Um, but even then, I understand why that parent would feel the need to, put, to go through that situation considering what they were leaving from, right, and trying to get away from. So I look at it as a systemic issue, and that systemic issue, one of the things is that there are these really dangerous parts of our border and that people are encouraged to go to, and those dangerous parts of our border have no no freaking fence. they have no barrier there's nothing stopping people and what we've learned historically you know when we look at areas that have already had the proverbial wall built there they have very low crime rates when we go to El Paso El Paso is a perfect example Democrats often use that and say look how safe the border is well, most of the border isn't as safe as, as El Paso is, and um, but there's a reason El Paso is safe. It wasn't safe prior to building the wall that they had built there in the la- over the last two decades. Um, you know, San Diego sector. There's a lot of San Diego is very safe now. It wasn't at one time. It used to be that most of the most of the illegal immigration occurred there. They built a wall structure. Then all of a sudden, it shifted, and they started focusing on getting drugs through ports of entry and less on immigration or illegal immigration or irregular migration, and now you don't have those issues there as much. You, they did it in Tucson sector. They built those in, in, the, in the cities. They built these barriers and fences, proverbial walls in the, um, uh, in the cities and uh, in Arizona, and it, it decreased uh, getting illegal immigrants across and illegal immigrants smuggling. Those groups then turned to drugs. And uh, some people still went around those fences and went out to the desert, but they're much easier to apprehend if they go out to the desert rather than doing it in an urban area, right, immediately across from another urban area. Um, So, you know, if if there were barriers built in those those remote areas south of Lordsburg, uh, people probably wouldn't go there. Some young men could still climb and get over, but most couldn't. And most wouldn't, and and that's what that's what our our history, that's what the data shows. Uh, Um, And so I look at something like what happened to this 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 child, and I think that's you know I do think our system has some blame in it, the way that we do things. But I don't think that's on the border patrol agents. I think that's on politicians who fail to acknowledge the dangers not only to U.S. citizens in some places on our border, but also to the migrants in some places on our border. It's not a safe place in a lot of areas, and we need to do something. We need to make sure that there's supervision there, whether you want to call it border security or you want to call it supervision to make sure migrants don't die in the desert. Call it whatever you want. We need to make sure that there are people there because we know women and children are crossing, and we know men are crossing, um, and we know that they're oftentimes crossing in large groups, So, and we know that they often die. We've had over, if I'm not mistaken, 377 Migrants died on our border or around our border just this year alone in two thousand and eighteen. Uh We know this is happening, and so for for folks like that's all work to say the border is safe, nothing to see here. border is safe. Well, you know, those folks said that it turns out it wasn't. It turns out that that narrative that everything's okay and safe gets all the way to Central America, not that he's responsible for that little girl by any means, but the narrative is the narrative that he helps to push uh bears some responsibility. Uh people like me have been screaming for many years that it's unsafe for everyone involved and we need to do something about it. We need to make sure that there are some barriers. We need to make sure that there's more technology, that there's more people, that there's more medical care available to the Border Patrol agents and to the migrants. Had we done what we should have done for Border Patrol agents to make sure that no agent is out there working three hours for medical care, well then there would have been medical care there for that little girl too. Uh, but we haven't done what we could for agents. We don't have enough of them. We don't have enough barriers. Um, so I look at this and you say, what happened? Well, you know, and you ask about the shutdown. It's like, well, I don't know. You know, like build build a barrier in the areas where it's needed. Do something. Build a barrier. Buy, get more agents and make sure there's more 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 resources available to those agents, even if it's medical resources, even if it's for the migrants. Make sure they're there. And, and so I, I do think that there is a sense of urgency about about making sure that these really remote places on our border are are uh yeah are being monitored secured and have resources available
1: kelly asking and I, i'm sorry kelly i don't know if this is a man or a woman um kelly asking if there had been a barrier there at they call it lordsburg is it lordsburg or lawrenceburg well, Lord, Lord'sburg, New Mexico. Okay, so, so Lord'sburg—that's yeah, so so that's the station, and that's the town along
0: I-10, and that's where the station is. And that station covers all the way down to the border and covers a portion of the U.S.-Mexico border.
1: Okay, so had there been a barrier there, the girl would have died behind the wall. Is the question?
0: Well, uh, but if had there been a barrier there, the girl wouldn't have gone to the wall in the first place. See. That's how it works like we're, we're like had she if there were a barrier there and people people don't go to the areas where they know there's a barrier they go to the areas where there aren't a barrier um, that's what they do because little girls can't get over those walls so um, to say like oh if you had put a barrier I mean yeah if you put one up instantly and nobody knew it was there and then they showed up then yeah they probably would have been on the other side of the wall the thing is though is there's actually civilization south of there in Mexico. Uh, There's a port of entry there. It's just such a remote port of entry that it closes at midnight or, what, 11 p.m. or I think midnight in that particular instance, local time. So, um, again, had had there been a barrier there, they would have had to wait and go to the port of entry the next day or earlier in the day and not have crossed 160-something strong, 163, I believe, in the middle of the the wee hours of the morning um, you know so that again you 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 our policies either encourage or discourage people from coming or they encourage and discourage people from going to certain places along the border we have a policy of encouraging people discouraging people from coming into the cities and not worrying about what they do in between the cities, thinking, oh, we'll get them. Well, that's really dangerous for them. Not only does it expose our Border Patrol agents to a lot, but it exposes them to a lot. You know, again, like, I'm horrified that a little child died, but this little child is one of many who have died this year along our border, and prior to this situation, um, you know, I haven't seen either party make a big deal out of that, you know. I haven't seen either party, you know, like I I tend to push border security and I I tend to make humanitarian arguments for border security, there are a ton of arguments to make for border security, uh, but I tend to make the humanitarian argument, I tend to make a humanitarian argument for our policies, I think the de facto system of, of mass migration that we currently have is inhumane and I think it's unjust, I don't think it's fair to us, I don't think it's fair to our workers, but I don't think it's fair to the migrants. I don't think it's fair to Mexico, portions of Mexico, or to Central America. You know, there are a lot of places south of our border where it's just not very pleasant to live. Um, There's a lot. In fact, it could be deadly to live there. And so people want to leave. And when we have policies that also encourage them, then we are creating pull factors in addition to the push factors that already exist. And we encourage people to come you know some of it I, I totally understand like when I, w- I went to the migrant caravan in Tijuana I spent two days going into Tijuana meeting with these people talking to them uh... amongst them for the day and and uh... for the evening I got back late and I spent I talked to a lot of them and in the process of talking with them and 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 seeing everyone and seeing where they were living and, and uh... talking to the officials there and all of the migrants and um, what I heard a lot of were things like, hey, I'm, I'm leaving because my husband was violent uh, in Honduras. And it's like, I understand, and uh, thankfully you're not staying with a violent husband, but is there a particular reason you need to come all the way to the U.S. to get away from a violent husband in Honduras? Mexico City offered you asylum, like, you could, why didn't you stay in Mexico City, where it's relatively peaceful, much more peaceful than our, some of our own cities. Like, why didn't you stay in Mexico City? Well, because the simple fact is, is that in addition to it being awful there, people come here because they're economic migrants. Oftentimes, they come here because they want to have a better life and a better job. And uh, I don't, again, I don't begrudge them for that. I understand why they want to do kids, it. You know, when people say, "Oh, they're just coming for a better job," it's like, well, just. I mean, that's a big deal if you have a family to feed, right? Um, I totally understand that. But, but a lot of, you know, and, and I'm just going to say this, like when I look at most of right media, they they want you to believe everyone in that crowd is a terrorist or a thug, which isn't true. And when I listen to a lot of mainstream media, they want you to believe everyone in that crowd is, is a is a warm refugee fleeing violence at home for their lives, and that's just not true either. Um, you know, there's some instances where there are criminals. I, I, I think I did meet a lot of people that I wouldn't want in my country, uh, but the vast majority were pretty decent people. However, they were economic migrants. I didn't meet anybody fleeing war. I didn't meet anybody that said, yeah, the gangs are so bad, we just have to get away or they're going to kill me and my child. I didn't meet one person who said that. Um, and they were talked to me very bluntly um, and very openly. Uh, I did meet a lot of people who said, hey, I'm leaving because I need a better job or we want, you know, to send money back home. Uh, but when I cross, I'm going to say that I have a fear of my life or that I'm doing this because they know what our rules are. They know that we have exceptions for certain things. So I mean, it, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a real tragic deal because if we, you know, if we open the taps and just allow, you know, I, I think up to date we've had over 400,000 people uh, caught, uh, apprehended between ports of entry. That's not the people crossing legally. This is in between ports of entry, about 400,000 uh, in 2018 alone. That's a lot of people, and most of them came into Texas, and most of them are in Texas. So you know, every year you have four or five hundred thousand people doing this, staying in Texas. Uh, It changes us, and and I don't mean changes us like oh you're racist. No, not about culture. It's not about it, but it but it does change us. You know, it does change us if we allow large influxes of people from a different culture, from a place where there isn't an ingrained respect for the rule of law for a system. you know, it, it does change us, you know, and, and differently than in 2005 when the majority who crossed were young men who were of working age, now we're in a situation where the majority crossing are women with four or five children, three children, and that's different. That, that does drain resources. Someone could argue that it, you know, in the long term is better for, I, I, I've heard all kinds of arguments to, for and against, and I, I listen to everyone, and, and uh, most people make a lot of sense. But it does change us if we allow it. Um, The other thing, though, is if we don't allow it, it changes us, too, right? Um, It changes us, too, if we can have women and children at our border in a bad situation and say, leave, we don't want you, and if you try to forcefully come in, we're going to shoot tear gas at you. Well, that changes us, too, right? So uh, there's a lot of decisions to make. I, you know, the more, like most things in life, the more I know and the more I learn, uh The more complex it becomes, and it is a complex situation hmm. and sadly we're we're at a stage in our in our in our culture as a nation in our media culture in our political culture where um but just pretty much everybody's full of it you know uh nobody's like and I say nobody I mean none of the pundits I listen to are telling a complex story i don't see any politicians telling a complex story I see half of them accusing trump of war crimes even though obama i think obama shot tear gas at the border a hundred and eighty one times or eighty one times in his tenure that's that happens when the because some of those people crossing are not real nice people you know like sometimes like that's what happens and um uh... so you know half of them are saying that and then half of them are saying that these people are isis fighters trying to get in like trojan horses which i think is absurd too and. It's just, it's sad that there's there's a, there's a an inability for nuance right now in our culture, in our media culture, in our punditry class, like there's just an inability to have nuance. You say something nuanced, like I'm saying, you know, someone, somewhere, you know, in Texans or something, will put some sentence I just said on a postcard, you know, and said, Brandon did an interview sympathizing with the migrants, and it's like, I do sympathize with them. I also sympathize with our border patrol agents. I also sympathize with with, with our native-born uh, uh, citizens who need jobs and need low-income jobs. And I sympathize with low-income inner-city black workers who, who now uh, actually have the lowest unemployment rate they've had in a very long time, because, historic lows, because there's not people here competing with them for those Those entry level jobs, you know, and those labor jobs and those kitchen jobs. And there's, so I sympathize with everyone involved. And, and, uh, like I said, sadly, um, there's just not a lot of people really, you know, a lot of the people leading the conversation either a don't know what they're talking about or b they seem to think that everything is black and white in the world well you're leading the
1: conversation and we appreciate you buddy and here's all i want to ask can you hold over with a break go into the next segment with us and talk more about your experience within the caravan something that's drawn a lot of attention and your first hand takes on it can you do that yeah let's do that all right let's do it you've got brandon darby breitbart texas Managing Editor, right here with us on the program. Going to go to a quickie break and come back. About 90 seconds, his first-hand accounts with the caravan. Stick right with us here on the other side. you're saying with a grin. You do the sound of hailstones hitting It's loud enough, you gotta yell now. The whole thing hits me like a song. We have Brandon Darby, Breitbart, Texas, on the phone with us. Here he is, the chief managing editor. There are lots of different titles. I'll just call you the chief. Um, Brandon Darby, so you, we've heard for some time. I mean, it's been, gosh, two and a half months we've heard about this caravan. You went down, saw it firsthand. What would you walk away with? Uh, Other than what you just laid out before, what were some things that you drove home and you thought about on your drive home?
0: You know, I mean, I know that most of your listeners are probably pretty conservative, and, and uh, I am too. But I drove home very perplexed. You know, I drove home perplexed. I drove home. You know, it's a, it's a several days to get from from uh, San Isidro, Port of Entry, uh, you know, back to to Lubbock, Texas, which is where. Uh, south of San Diego. It's actually the town. Everyone thinks San Diego's on the border. It's not. It's, it's San is on the border and it's south okay. of San Diego between Tijuana and San Diego. Um, one could argue that it's metropolitan San Diego, right? But, uh, yeah, you know, I drove back and I, I was really heartbroken, man. That, um, <clears throat> yeah, really heartbroken. Like just very sad, like some of the things I saw and the conditions people were in, and the conditions people live in in general, like I was very sad saddened by it it um it was a head trip it uh, still bothers me actually and i i uh,
1: what about it though uh well, like
0: you know toddlers sleeping on piles of trash uh because the the sports arena that's open air that they were staying in was, you know, getting into the 40s or 50s at night, and it had a heavy rain, so it was flooded. So in order to keep people, their kids, out of the off, out of the mud and wet ground, they would pile up trash and make a bed for them on it. I thought that was really heartbreaking. Uh, I saw a lot of people who I think were pretty decent people because you can tell man especially with my life experiences like I'm sure there's some who get by but you can tell how people are interacting in the crowd and how they're acting and and um you know like if they're of a criminal element or not and there was some of that but but most people weren't you know and it it, it puts you in a spot because you're like well I you know man it's like wait a minute like I was born on the that side of that line and because I was born on that side of that line and because my child was born on that side of that line then this is our life, and you were born on this side of that line, and because you were born on this side of that line, this is your life, you know? And like all human beings, you strive for opportunity, so you want to do anything you can to get on that side of that line, of that border where I'm from, you know? And I understand it, man. Like, I get it. I also think you know if we allowed millions of people to do that every year, then I think we would uh, we would no longer have, we would no longer be this side of that line, you know, and um, mm. how to draw that the, there would the be a line. That, I don't. Uh, it's not that there wouldn't be a line. I mean, there there would be less of a line, but the thing is, is that, you know, that I mean, you know, if if you take a culture, like say we we take somewhere in Syria. And I'm sure there's a lot of good people, and they want to come here. I get it. Um, you allow 10 to come here, okay. You allow 100 to come here, okay. But if you allow more people to come here than are in the town where they live, than where they're going to, well, then all of a sudden they don't assimilate, and it becomes an issue of of that town becomes, like, where they're from, you know? And um, and that that's not, you know, some, as much as we want to – say rosy things and act like that's always okay. Well, what if they're from a, a culture where they don't believe in freedom of speech or they don't believe that women should not wear burkas or they don't, you know? So so similarly, like, like we have people coming from a culture of extreme poverty, a culture where most of the law enforcement officers are on the take and take bribes. Most of the officials take bribes, if not all of them. Uh, the areas are the system is something that you game and work around and and have fear of, and don't respect, and don't participate in, because it is something there to oppress you. That is not what our system is in current day. There are some places where people feel that way, and there are some sex you know, subcultures that feel that way. Um, but for the most part, we have a system where you know we we can call nine one one and expect someone to show up if we do. Um, they don't live in a place like that. They live in a very different environment. So if if you allow. Mass numbers of people to come from that environment, um, it can it can cause some pretty significant problems, right? And um, so I mean, go down the line, you know, like I I, I recognize that, um, but I also uh, I'm just going to be straight with you. I I totally understand why they want to be here. We're a great nation, and we have a lot of opportunity, you know. And it feels good to to be able to work my rear end off and provide for my child at Christmas, you know and give her things that she wants that provide more opportunities to her and to to feed her good food and not just corn that I, that I got from some, you know, soup kitchen or, or line that some governmental agency handed out, you know, like it, it was a little heartbreaking when most of the kids I met and who were 11 or 12, they had the bodies of five or six year olds because of long standing malnutrition. Mm. And I just think that sucks, you know? And, uh, so you get into this real issue where it's like, well, I mean, you know, you get to, unto the least of these, you know, and situation, you start to look at it that way. But then you also look at, you know, you look at situations where we're a nation of laws and we're supposed to respect our laws. And you look at situations where, you know, we, we need to be prudent and wise and not just, you know, give everything we have away and to where we don't have enough left for our own selves. Right. And our own loved ones. Um, and where to draw that line, I don't really know. But I, I can tell you that, I, you know, in Matthew 25, I didn't really see an exception for that. Like, I was hungry, and you you, and you didn't feed me. I was cold, and you didn't clothe me. But it's okay, because I was on that side of the border. It's all good, you know. Yeah. So, I didn't so Brandon, I didn't see that in there.
1: Here's my question, and I've asked you this a lot of times off air, but I want to ask you on air. And we'll just close out with this. You're you're brought in tomorrow. To advise the President on what to do about this, with all the nuances with all the gray with the black and the white, what's the best border policy going forward
0: i mean that, that's that's a little more complex than that like what's the policy it, it It depends on where we are like we're talking about a roughly two thousand mile southwest border. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on what's going on in different parts of Mexico, what infrastructure's there what level of corruption is there and what what level of relationships our law enforcement and intelligence agencies have in those in those places in mexico to where we can know what's going on have operability have influence um, and so forth so there's a lot of of factors to consider but uh... bottom line is in the at the end of the day after all is said and done it's an economic opportunity issue. is what it is It's, it's about economic opportunity It really is. And, you know, uh, when people don't have other opportunities, they do some, A, they migrate, or B, they join criminal organizations, or C, they're just oppressed by the criminal organizations and they live in abject poverty. And um, so I would look at that and I would say, okay, here's the thing, in the long term, you know, Mexico is a very well-off nation. It's very wealthy. It has a lot of resources, resource-rich nation. They have a lot of money in Mexico. It's just not distributed. Um, it's just not shared, right? There's a very few small groups who have that money, and the vast majority have nothing. And um, so what I would look at is I would say, why is this problem here? And it's like, well, it's there because of the organized criminal circles, which cartels are part are, are a part of that. They're not that. They are a part of that. They're not the whole problem, and that prevents economic development. And I would say, okay, so how can we go after these organized crime circles? And I would say, okay, here's what we're going to do. This faction of Los Santos, this faction of the Gulf Cartel, they've crossed the line. They've become foreign terror orgs. We need to identify them as that. Not all cartels, because it would destroy all of Mexico. It's too ingrained. We would take the most egregious examples set an example, we would go after them, we would work with Mexican officials outside of their, their entire government, and we would stop treating them like they're an equal partner at the table like Canada or the UK, and or Great Britain, and we would treat them as what they are, which is largely a, a, a failed narco state, it's a country with half of its territory under the control of transnational criminal groups, right, who, who develops most of the world's poppy and traffics most of the world's cocaine, like, right? And, and, and starting to traffic most of the world's fentanyl, right behind China, um, where journalists routinely get murdered. We'd have, I think we've had uh, 37, I think, in the last two years who have been murdered uh, in Mexico for reporting on politicians and organized crime and cartels and their relationship. So we, we would go after those transnational criminal groups. And uh, if it meant extraordinary rendition to get them, then it meant extraordinary rendition. Uh, But most importantly, what it would mean is that any bankers, financiers, or politicians who took their resources or who gave them resources or did anything for them and interacted with them would now be open to be taken as well. And we would ruthlessly go after them. And by doing that, most other groups, organized crime groups in Mexico, would start to fall in line and they they would get the point. So that would be one level. Another level is I would build physical barriers in places where they're needed. Some places they are needed, some places they're not. Um, Another thing is I would change the policy, and I would say, hey, here's what we're going to do. If you come here and you come here illicitly, it doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, where you're from, why you're coming here. If you come in between ports of entry, you're going home, and that's it. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts, don't do it. You come to a port of entry, and that's that. And when you come to the port of entry, we do not owe you, owe it to you to have you come in the second you show up. We will let you in as we can process you. And that's what you do. And then Mexico has some pain to pay for it. They have some price to pay. They have to house people. That's what happened with the migrant caravan is they're like, oh, Go on through. It's okay. Like, we are the humanitarians in the world. Go on through to the U.S. And then we said, okay, well, guess what? You get to pay to house them until we process them. And Mexico was like, get out of here. You know, they got mad. Mm. And because now they had to they had to uh, actually share the cost and the burden of what they were allowing. And and um, so we, we need to continue with that. Um, I think we also, at the same time, need to have legitimate worker programs where people can come. We need to make the penalties of of not showing up to hearings very stiff and say, hey, look, it's all good. You want asylum? Okay, we can't. Obviously, we're not going to keep you. You have your wife and kids. You're going to be in the U.S. for a bit. But in two months, you have a hearing. Here's the catch, though. If you don't come to the hearing, right, you're getting 10 years in prison. Straight up, Mm. come to the hearing. You know, like you have to be, you, you, you can't let it happen. And so once you do that and you provide a mechanism for people to come legally, provide a mechanism for people to work legally and travel back and forth, uh, that solves a lot of the problem with mass migration in conjunction with going after the organized crime and the corruption that prevents economic development, companies from developing in Mexico uh, and providing more jobs, that solves a lot of that problem. Um, I think that those things together, like more border security, you know, actually doing something, you know, treating Mexico very differently. Right now we're in a situation where the State Department really determines how U.S. agencies uh, operate in Mexico, and I think that they put too much onus on diplomacy and not enough on law enforcement and intelligence and security priorities. I think that that balance needs to change a little bit. So there's, there's a lot of stuff that we could do. But but ultimately, like, would the, is the wall by itself or a barrier? We're really not even talking about walls. We're talking about fencing. Um, is that is that going to solve it? No. Does it does it help a portion of it? It does. Um, is it going to solve it in its entirety? Not at all. Uh, but nothing else is going to solve it in its entirety either. It's a, it's going to take multi multi pronged approach. So so you know, primarily, like I said, policy changes. Um, you know people do what you allow them to do and and you, you gotta create a scenario where people aren't doing that and where they do go through ports of entry and if you look at the media right now like you'll see a lot of such on Twitter or social media when you see the opinions of, of journalists covering an issue most of them are like this is unfair they came to the port of entry and uh, you know Trump isn't letting them in and uh, making them wait a month and it's like well you you came with 6,000 people now nine thousand people to the port of entry, and you think we're just going to like be like, okay, you're you're not entitled to be here. We we might we might be obligated morally to help you, but that doesn't mean you're entitled to be here. If I come to your home and, and I'm cold, it's wet, and I'm cold, I'm I'm a, you know, you might morally be obligated to to put me something warm on me and let me in, but that doesn't mean that I can show up at your door and demand to come in, because I I you. You don't owe that to me, and I—that that is not my right. It is not other people's right to come into another nation and demand how things go down. That's not how it works in the world. But we've allowed a situation where half of our country and their their politicians that represent that half uh, seem to feel that way right now and seem to feel like everyone who shows up is entitled. And I think a lot of that, and this is another bit of the problem, is, you know, they come in we let them come in because we're being compassionate and then you start to see kamala harris and others in and california say hey they have they should have the right to vote since they live here and it's like i don't i think if if most of the people coming here were voting republican i don't think democrats would be uh... so uncaring about border issues and 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 so freely allowing everyone to come uh... but that's not the case so there's a lot of forces at play uh... That really you know, like I said, it's a complex situation but but ultimately, the bottom line is is um, you know we allow more people into our nation uh than any other uh nation on this planet uh we really do um, we're a very giving nation, and i I hope we stay a very giving nation but but we also can't have a situation where people can just come back and forth, uh even previously deported people previously deported sex. Sex offenders, You know, there was a three-year period, I believe, in, uh, was it 10, 11, and 12, or 12, it would, I wrote it in 14, so it would have been 11, 12, and 13, where just in Texas alone, right, ICE had to deport 7,500 previously convicted sex offenders, which meant that they had been, most of them had been deported and just came right back because the border is very open and unsecured. I have a problem with that. Is, is that representative of the majority of people? No, it's not. I'm not claiming that it is. But it's still 7,500 sex offenders who would not be in my country if the border were more secure, you know? And in my state, that's just Texas alone, you know, in a three-year period. That's a problem. Like, I mean, there there are problems here, okay? There are problems. And, and you know, clearly we don't want to be like North Korea and – um but even if we were like North Korea and had a border like the DMZ, people still cross the DMZ. Not a lot of people, but some do. Um, people who are very dedicated to crossing it do. Uh, most of them going south, and that's because they want opportunity and they want a better life. Human beings have a very strong desire, very strong, like a burning passion to have a better life for themselves and for their loved ones. And people, no matter what you do, even East Berlin and West Berlin, like people still got across. A lot of people died getting across, but people still got across. And so ultimately, though, like I said, though that is one step, uh, one step to take right now. When there's such economic disparity and such disparity in the peace index between the U.S. and Mexico, in most places, um, that is—it's just one step. You know, there's really the ultimate thing is 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 liberty there and and um, an economic opportunity and 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 really looking at the the core of why that can't be like why can't u.s. companies invest in Coila, mexico just south of del rio and eagle Pass? some do but but generally they're not in exploiting that oil there because the cartels and because politicians connected the cartels want to bribe and if you don't pay them. And the cartels start attacking your people because the politicians and the cartels are one and the same. And th- these are the problems there that really need to get addressed. And and you know if if we did that in Mexico and we helped Mexico be a better place uh, with more of a stratified, more I say stratified, more of a um, um, a distributed, um, you know, middle class wealth. A lot of that wealth was was more spread out amongst people. People who came from south of the border would stay in mexico and work and uh they wouldn't so many wouldn't come here um and people in mexico would stay in mexico um uh, you know and, it's... and so it's, it's it's complicated jay but i'll tell you something man you know it, it's just like so complicated because even like the, like what i talked about a minute ago with with the caravan and mexico let them through It was like we're the humanitarians yes of course you can go through and then the u.s said okay but they're going to stay there until we process them well, then all of a sudden there were protests in Mexico to kick them out. Like, get out of here! You're taking our jobs. You're taking our jobs. You know, people got mad. We don't have the resources for you. Get out of here. People got really mad in Mexico, and the Mexican government, a lot of a lot of factions of the government, got really mad. And uh, but so on that hand, you're like, well, that's fair. Fair is fair. Like you let them through, so now you help deal with the cost. That sounds fair. However, I'll tell you, having been there. And dealing with those people and seeing the situation those kids were in, um, as much as that's a policy I would advocate for, when you're actually seeing the human cost and the people who are the pawns in that, right? When you're seeing the the, the migrants who they were tricked, they, they weren't coming. Most of those people weren't coming here to take advantage of us. They thought they were welcome, you know, mm-hmm. because that's what they had been told. And, um, you know, and these are people like, well, they should have Googled it. Well, well dummy, they don't have that. Most of them don't even, most of them are from mountainous villages that don't have electricity, man, you know? Hmm. Like, they don't have that. They were told something, and they believed it. They were told that all along the way. And, um, you know, so they were duped. And you look at that, and you look at the situation the kids are in, and the babies are in, and the women are in, you're just like, man, like, this is a a mess, you know? So you look at the consequences, Hmm. the collateral damage of these policy wars, and it's heavy, so I don't really know uh, what to do with that. Um, I, uh, you know, I know in my heart of hearts, like that we can't just allow fifty three percent of the population of El Salvador to come here all of a sudden. We can't, you know, um, or Honduras. But at the same time, you know, like I, I do have a heart for them, and I totally understand why they want to come. I really do. And I think when we talk about them, it'd be it'd be a, probably a good thing while we're confused about what policies to have, to remember we're talking about people. And remember we're talking about people who have that same drive that you and I have to make sure that our kids have something better. Make sure that our wives have something better. You know? That our that our ancestors have something better. More opportunity, more peace and stability. And that's what they want. You know a good word. So it's it's a it's a it's a hellacious situation, buddy, and I don't um uh, you know, I don't, uh, uh, you know, I don't really know what to do with that. You know, I, um, there were just so many really neat people I met, and, and, um, some of them really stuck by me and made sure that, like, I was safe while I was there, you know, because some of the people there aren't good people, but the majority of them were that but I, but I encountered. And, um uh, you know, can't have a situation where, the majority of good people get in, but some of them get in who are horrible and evil. Like, obviously we can't have that either. Right. Yeah. How to differentiate is tricky. You know, it's tricky. Like, I guess, you know, if, if I were advising Trump, what I would probably do in these situations is I would probably go and spend a couple of days in the caravan and figure out which people are really decent and which ones aren't. And I'd probably flag them and maybe let the decent ones in. And, you know, I don't know, you know, like that's, but I tell you that that long drive back, couple days, I had a lot of time to think, and and since then I've had a lot of time to think about what to do, and I don't know what to do. You know, like I said, I know I know we can't allow that, but it doesn't mean that I don't completely understand why they're coming.
1: Yeah, man, uh, good stuff, Brandon Darby. I Appreciate you making time to come on and to explain through the nuances of it all, and I hope that people walk away, especially. Whenever we're in the Christmas spirit frame of mind to hear you out and uh, to hear what you have to say, uh, you can follow Cartel Chronicles there, at, uh, Breitbart, Texas, and uh, top class reporting there. And appreciate you, Brandon Darby.
0: Thank you, brother. Merry Christmas.
1: Merry Christmas to you. Uh, going to get off of Brandon Darby and go into a quickie break and get back with you right here on the other side. Close out the 2018. It's already over. I can't believe it. Be right back with
0: me. We have to
1: work the to celebrate a
0: gringo honeymoon.
1: as you uh listen to the beginning of the program last edition in 2018 i want to thank you for being part of the growth of the program and what we do here we just roll along do some west Texcanism, uh place over party and people will say well that's not principled enough well those are people who oftentimes don't even live here aren't from here um uh, we talk about what matters here And we go from there uh, Coming up in the new year Daniel is gone now But uh, Daniel is making sure That we bring you Live stream on Facebook And that uh, we're there on the radio As well as there on the podcast And those things are going to be New additions And thank you for I just I close out this year And say thank you that we're helping you and your listenership and referring to friends there at ostx show on twitter other side of texas on facebook other side of texas.com you're helping this show evolve and becoming more and more what we hoped it would be and uh just have you to thank for it and it's just an organic movement and we're glad you're a part of it Uh, Lots of times organic means fed by uh, stuff that falls to the ground, but with this, it's anything but. So with that, I have a surprise trip in a limo tonight to go watch, go look at uh, Christmas lights with the kiddos. I know that they aren't listening right now, so I bring that up. going to go home get home above average dinner great night with the kids until next time rayvon buddies rayvon we'll see you right next time here on am 580 lubbock see ya in 2019 the mountain, and all the it's who we want Step the